Hi, I'm Vivian Wang, co-founder of the Wiser Podcast, where we continue to have discussions about women in surgery with Emory surgeons, in addition to interviewing surgeons beyond our local community. Hi, I'm Virginia Wang, Wiser's marketing and art intern, and welcome to a special episode of Wiser. Last year, we had a hashtag BeWiser event on the topic of pregnancy and parenthood in surgical residency, which was filled with advice and great Q&As that we wanted to share with our podcast audience. This event was led by Dr. Rima Rindler, a chief resident in neurosurgery at Emory, joined by Dr. Emily Barrow, a chief graduate and now faculty at Emory and ENT, both of whom went through pregnancies during their busy residencies. Dr. Beth Willingham, an Emory ENT faculty, opened the doors of her home to kindly host this event, which was attended by medical students, residents, and other colleagues. We've included links to articles referenced during this conversation on our website. We hope you enjoy. Parenthood in its relationship to the workplace is a national topic of conversation. It's not something that we're just talking about in medicine. And the huge conglomerates are talking about it. Google, <clears throat> Yahoo, Facebook. And you can see all these op-eds and commentaries about how terrible maternity leave is and how um, very little support for childcare people have after they have their children, which makes it difficult to go back to work. And so it's a conversation that's been going on since the 70s, but it's actually, it seems to me that it's getting even more amped up. And this is in comparison to countries in Europe, for example, who have very extended maternity leave policies for three months or even up to a year, and that's just an accepted part of the culture. Here it's not. So naturally, people in medicine have started talking about it too. Again, the conversation started in the 1970s when the numbers of women in surgery and medicine in general began to rise. And now it's just something that we can't avoid anymore because our numbers are so much higher than they were even five or 10 years ago. As a disclaimer, our goal is to have this be a very candid conversation. We want to let you know our experiences. <clears throat> know that each woman, each pregnancy, each situation is extremely different. And we're not endorsing any particular view or definitely not endorsing Emory specific views. I'd sent around two articles that I thought generally pointed to what the state of affairs is now. One is a systematic review that, full disclosure, my sister wrote about parental leave policies and graduate medical education. It was a systematic review just seeing what policies were out there. Do programs have policies? And if so, what kind? The second one was a really interesting one that was recently published in JAMA Surgery about attitudes regarding pregnancy and motherhood during surgical training. And it was a survey of over 300 women that was dispersed to general surgery residents and recent graduates with general surgery uh, subspecialties, basically asking what their experience was like and asking what their attitudes were towards it, what they thought other people's attitudes were towards it. I'll be referencing these kind of throughout, but if you have questions, just look at these for further details. So in general, what is the current situation regarding women in medicine? As you know, over 50% of medical school graduates now are women. As a contrast, fewer than 50% of general surgery residents are women, so there's a huge gap in how many women end up going to general surgery. And there are even fewer in surgical subspecialties, I think. Neurosurgery, cardiac surgery, and orthopedic surgery are among the few. Surgical training is long, and it occurs during childbearing years. It's a fact. Concerns around family life is a cited factor for women not going into surgery and surgical subspecialties. It's hard to recruit women when they are concerned about whether they're going to be able to have a family life that they envision. 
And many women have decided to put off having children until after residency that sometimes goes well into their mid to late 30s. But more and more women are having children in residency. That is also a fact. Culturally, men and women of the millennial generation alike are setting a desire to have a work-life balance. And so it's going to be an issue not just for women, but also for men. So what are the current parental leave policies and surgical residencies? Apparently it's the law, and each workplace should have one, even uh, medical <coughs> residencies. The ACGME does not endorse a single parental leave policy for GME programs. It only states that individual GME programs have to have a policy and they have to provide it to prospective and current residents in a timely manner. The existence of maternity leave policies is extremely varied across institutions, but the numbers of official leave policies are increasing over time, and that's what one of the articles had found. The components of these policies, though, are extremely variable across specialties and across institutions. It turns out that, ultimately, the thing that really determines what your maternity leave is going to be is the National Specialty Accreditation Boards that make you boards certified. So they determine how much leave you're allowed to take in order for you to still be board eligible without adding any time to your residency program. And I think that's a really important point that what we're missing is that every single subspecialty has their own individual policy and that's what you have to go off of. That being said, this time isn't free. Any available vacations, paid sick leave, which we all have, but we never use, <laughs> parental leave and medical leave go into this. So you can pretty much get up to six weeks of paid leave, and then FMLA can cover up to 12 weeks of leave in general, but whatever's left is unpaid. So you can get six weeks of paid, six weeks of unpaid, but it may not matter because if you take more than six weeks, you may not be board eligible. So that's the tricky part. You have to figure that out on a case-by-case -case basis. Do you want to talk about your experience in general? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of talk a little bit about this because I didn't really know anybody that had a baby in residency besides Dr. Cricket, who was several years above me. And so things have changed a lot. So I had actually talked to Remen, and she told me what her side of things were. I had another friend that had several friends um, who had babies in plastic surgery residency, and she was like, you get 12 weeks, you can take however much time during that 12 weeks you need. But then after talking to Rima, she's like, you have to look at your specific board. So specifically for ENT, it states that you can take six weeks off the entire year, no matter what the situation is, whether that's because of a medical illness, whether that's because of family issues, or whether that's because you're pregnant. And like Rima said, that is all your vacation, all of your sick days, that's everything. You cannot take more than 30 days off within a given year. A lot of program directors don't know what the specific policies are because they don't deal with this on a constant basis. So it was a lot of my program director and I just working together to try to figure this out. And I went to our specific board website. There's a very small paragraph that says you can take six weeks off and that's all you get. But it says you can extend your time in residency if the program director writes a paragraph saying how they're going to make up the time. So interestingly, I was on bed rest, so I ended up taking seven weeks, five days of bed rest, and then the rest of the time was maternity leave. When I was going back to work, when the baby was five weeks old, I kind of had a freak out because she wasn't eating, and I was like, I can't leave her like this. So my program director called me and I was like, I don't think I'm ready to go back. I think I need just a couple more days with her. She's like, that should be fine. We'll just extend your residency. I'm doing a fellowship here anyway. She's like, that probably would be fine. Well, come to find out, there were issues because the GME approves your residency to have a certain resident position. So we're approved for 20 positions in our program. So if I'm extending my residency, even by a couple of weeks, that means that we have 21 residents in our program. So they can't pay me. 
because they're only allotted money for 20 residents. And I was like, that's fine. I was like, I don't care. Like, don't pay me for a week or two weeks or a month, whatever it is. I don't like whatever it is. I don't care. She's like, well, it's illegal for us to pay. Like, we can't not pay you, and we can't have 21 residents. So we were kind of stuck between this rock and a hard place. So what we figured out, and again, I do not know the specifics of like what went on behind the scenes. Dr. Wise was incredible and just kind of made it work. But as long as my days this year were less than 30 days combined with the extra five or six days that I took last year were less, then that was a proof and that could make it work. But again, every single program has all of these stipulations. I don't think a lot of the program directors know about. There's a, a lot of room left for interpretation in those whole paragraphs. Something that you alluded to is that because of, there's this question of time spent versus quality of your training, I'll talk about it later, but ultimately residents who are parents have equal case numbers. They are just as academically productive. They don't lose more time outside of their paternity leaves. And so they're just as good by the numbers as if they weren't parents. So the quality of your education may end up being more of a factor than the quantity itself. A big question people have is, when is the best time during your surgical career to have children? Dr. Amy Chen, an Emory ENT faculty member, commented on the pros of pregnancy during residency. I would highly recommend because I think that that's the only time where you really have a lot of support from your co-residents. And once you're in practice or once you're a faculty member, you're trying to get your practice going, you're trying to get name recognition out there. When you leave for three months, people forget about you. And I had to go back at five weeks. There's no other way. I had to go back. I had her four weeks early, so she was 36 weeks. Yeah. And I went in and I had the baby, and then five weeks later I was back at work. I had no milk, I couldn't pump, couldn't breastfeed, couldn't nurse. I was just working, because I had to. It's never easy, but if you can do it in residency, it's the best time to do it because you have a support system. So if you plan to or don't even plan to have a child during residency, when is a good time? Well, there's never a good time to have a kid. It's <laughs> never convenient um, in, in our line of work, but there are some times that are better than others. Pregnancy can be extremely unpredictable, and if and when you have a child is biologically out of your control, for the most part. In a recent national survey, most pregnancies that happened with general surgeons took place at or above the PGY-3 year, but people still had kids PGY-1, PGY-2 year. 25% of residents surveyed had more than one child during residency. These years, like I said, often encompass non-clinical or research years, and that's why PGY-3, PGY-4 years seem to be a little bit more popular. But half of general surgery residents felt outside pressure to have children during their non-clinical time to decrease the burden on their co-residents and to decrease the time away from their clinical duties. So there, there was a either an implicit or an explicit push for, for people to be encouraged to have children during that time. So what does pregnancy and residency look like? In general, from the stat standpoint, 85% of women surveyed in that paper worked an unmodified schedule until their water broke. So standing in the operating room for long periods of time, taking call, whatever, unmodified as if you weren't pregnant at all. The vast majority felt that asking for a modified schedule would be perceived negatively by faculty and co-residents, whether they needed it or not. And 60% of women were concerned that their current work schedules were negatively impacting their own health 
or their baby's health or both. And I think this is a real problem. Pregnant women in residencies that work long hours have higher rates of preeclampsia and preterm labor. Fact. So our pregnancies, if we're working on a modified schedule, are probably a little bit riskier than, than the average person that isn't working long hours. I mean, I think that she's risking. I mean, she had a baby at 32 weeks. I had preeclampsia, which I didn't have bed rest. And mine was intrauterine growth restricted until the last month when I ended up being on research and just slept and ate all the time. And I'm convinced it was because of the high cortisol levels that this kid was exposed to and what I put the kid through. And I kept joking from the very beginning that Tim and I were going to have an alien baby. Like, I was positive something was going to go wrong just because I was afraid that what I was doing was going to impact my kid. It's a real fear. We had a good friend that just graduated a couple years ago from GYN residency here. And as someone in that profession who's telling their patients how to take good care of their soon-to-be new babies and that they need to take maternity leave, she had a measly three weeks off that she had to use her own vacation for. I was flabbergasted by that because you are a OBGYN trained physician and your practice of OBGYN doctors is not supporting you. And so that's really, it's a shame. We can do better. And I would challenge the next generation of people to step up and, and say something about it. The biggest thing is also not just maternity leave policies, but also support while you're pregnant. I think that we've all been speaking to it that we, as pregnant women, if anything felt like we had to prove ourselves more, that we had to work harder, took all of our call in a consolidated period, felt like we had to prove ourselves to every single person around us that we were still strong and could still do every single thing that everybody else did. I remember vividly being six months pregnant, being like, I can't drink water because I'm not gonna be able to be relieved to go to the bathroom. And as a pregnant person, I'm gonna have to go to the bathroom. So I would literally not drink. And then people saying to me, you need to go and eat. You need to take a break. And I was like, great, I agree with you. Do you want to scrub in and, and I can go. go do that? And then it just made me feel bad because they were recognizing that I needed to take a break. They recognized that I needed to go home early, but weren't offering a solution. So therefore I was just providing the solution. So I think that it's such an important thing, maternity leave, but I think also recognizing how to support your colleagues that are pregnant when they're pregnant is really just as important. So what do other people think about pregnant women in surgery? 61% of general surgery program directors, program directors, felt that parenthood negatively impacts female trainees' work, decreases female resident well-being, versus 34% felt the same way about men, that fathers were worse residents, and 9% that it actually decreased male resident well-being. So there is a stigma or perception across program directors as a whole, not all, but a majority that were surveyed that felt that motherhood made women residents not as good. 15% of general surgery program directors would advise against having children during residency, but flip it on its head, 85% would either be neutral or okay with it. So that's 85% would still be like, yeah, you, should, you, you can still have a kid. <laughs> Almost 75% of general surgery residents witnessed faculty or colleagues making negative comments about pregnancy or parenthood during training. I was a resident and medical students were interviewing and I was clearly very pregnant. And I will tell you, it was so interesting to me how many women came up to me and asked me, how is this program with you being pregnant? Do they support you? 
are they giving you maternity leave? It was very interesting because people wanted to know, but no one was ever asking that. And it was just because I was clearly pregnant. People wanted to know the answer and they wanted that information, but we don't talk about it. And it was never anything that would have ever come up, I don't think, unless people felt like they could come and ask me. But not only are there like illegal questions from a hiring standpoint, there's match violation questions, which I wouldn't classify as like illegal, but still considered like a match violation question. And the person you're talking to, unless they're like a junior resident or like an idiotic chief resident, they know. Like if they're a faculty member, like on the recruitment team, they know they're asking you an illegal question. So one, I just would note it in your mind and ask yourself if that's the kind of program you want to go to. And I always tried to back out without giving an answer because quite frankly, they know they're asking a legal question and you just don't answer it. You're like, oh, well, things are kind of vague at this point. You're just kind of let them know that you know it's an illegal question. <laughs> Especially for matching, it's not a bad idea to just go look at the match website and look at what people are allowed to ask you and what they're not. If then you go to programs and the chairman's asking you a match violation question, you're like, really, is that the kind of program you're running? You know, the interview day is a small snapshot of any program and I think it just gives you more insight if you know the rules and then you just see the way that they behave around them. What if you don't want to volunteer that you're in a relationship and you want to go to a particular city because your significant other is there. Do you tell the program that? So I'm an orthopedic, so it's different. We're pretty competitive. We typically get like 900 applications for six spots. So something to stand out is like a specific interest in a specific program. So the more you can make the program director believe that you love their program specifically. So you don't necessarily say, my significant other lives here, so it's suicide matching into New York City or nowhere else, you know? I really want to come to New York City and make it my number one. And then they're not allowed to ask you, is it because of a significant other? I mean, they really wonder. Or let's say you're really passionate about, I don't know, minimally invasive spine surgery from like an ortho perspective. Just like if that program is really specialized in that, you can use that and just say, that's why I really want to come to program X. But, you know, if they're in that city, I don't think you need to tell them that your significant other is there. You're more genuinely interested in them as an individual program. So in general, what do pregnant residents, how, how do they feel about being pregnant? How do they feel that pregnancy and motherhood has affected their training or if not at all? A lot of us, 75% of us, feel that we were perceived poorly during our own pregnancies. And 15% of female surgeons with children felt that having children markedly slowed their career. Again, on the flip side, 85% felt like it didn't, but you know, 15% is not a small number. As you can see, the stigma of pregnant surgeons in training or out of training still persists, um, despite data indicating that it doesn't necessarily have a negative impact and it may actually end up being a positive impact. In general, surgery residents' case numbers, academic productivity, in-service scores, written and oral boards, passing rates, and attrition rates did not differ between people who had children and people who did not. What about the flip side? What about the kids at home? Do you feel like you have the capacity to be a mom? When they're little, pretty much anyone can change their diaper. And of course you want to be there. I'm not trying to be cold and you know, and say, well, I can ship my baby off somewhere and have them. But I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm just saying that in terms of outsourcing care and things like that, it's a lot easier when they're young. Mm -hmm. When they get older, when they're 7, 8, 13, 14, they want 
you. They don't want to talk to them in. They don't, they want you. They want to discuss what's going on at school and you want to be there. Mm -hmm. And so it actually gets harder and harder, which is something that no one ever told me. I was the most happy I ever was in my whole life when I was pregnant. And I, I don't know why, but I was just extremely happy. And, and I think that that made me feel like my work was happy and that I was happy at, as a resident. And so I don't want everyone to think that it's totally depressing and awful to be pregnant. So what does motherhood look like in, in residency and afterwards? 90% of women felt that nursing was extremely important, but fewer fewer were able to do it for longer, long periods of time for, for various reasons, because there wasn't a good time to pump. Some people didn't, a lot of people don't feel comfortable asking their attendings to scrub out and go pump. Luckily, some people just make you go. And there aren't great facilities in a lot of places. So, and this is something that's also unpredictable. Your baby may not latch, you may only be able to pump alone. You may not produce a lot of milk. And so how hard you fight to try to maintain that relationship is really up to you. And I'm here to basically tell yourselves to forgive yourselves for whatever guilt you're going to be lugging around about this. Did you notice a difference in your men attendants and women now they treated you? It can go both ways. So women are often hardest on women. <laughs> the reason why we don't want to ask for special accommodations is because if you're not doing it, then someone else is. And if it's someone who didn't choose to have a baby during residency, and she's staying late so that you can go pump or so that you can go have a good meal and eat, drink, and pee, those are um, things that residents don't do when they're not pregnant. <laughs> oh, so now you're pregnant, you get to eat, drink, and pee? You gotta get pregnant around here to like get <laughs> really elevate the quality of life for everybody. You said, I think that there's women that were supportive, there were women that were not supportive, but the women that were supportive understood mm -hmm. specifically what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, so, you are pregnant, <laughs> you need to leave, I will do this so that right. you can go do this. Men were like, oh, I feel so bad for you. I know you're really struggling. You need to go home early. And I was like, really, would just love to scrub out from this 20 hour shift and just go to the bathroom. And they were like, oh, I'm really sorry. That That's terrible. I hate to say they were trying to be helpful, but they would make me feel worse because they were pulling out things that I was doing wrong. I was like, I'm clearly not taking care of myself. And then it made me feel worse. No, with that parent, yeah. We discussed what policies and programming we would specifically put in place to support residents and faculty who are parents. The number one priority was offering childcare support. My biggest struggle is she goes to school. We have a part-time nanny that picks her up from school so that we don't have to leave work early. When they are called out of school from sick, there is nothing that is more stressful than you have to be here in an hour. And I always wonder, like, or what? Or what? Because the problem is they can't go to school the next day. They can't go to school for another 24 hours. So I think that a backup system where, okay, your kid is sick, we have an emergency system in place to go pick up your kids and to take care of them the next day because Emory actually has a, a program in place that they require, like, a certain amount of so I can't, so if they want them picked up in an hour, I can't utilize that system. It's great, it would be great for the next day, right. but I need somebody to pick her up. This literally happened today, and I was thinking about this on the way over here. So Rem and I actually have very different childcare situations, but she has two basically full-time nannies. Mm -hmm. It's better now. The first year of her life, 
I was basically a single parent. My husband is a consultant and he traveled three out of the four weeks of the month. And so I, I had to find people who would be able to take care of my kid when I was at work, which was all the time, 5.30 to 9, 5.30 to 10, whatever. So in the beginning, we found somebody who was willing to do all the hours because they wanted the hours. And then I decided that that was too much because it was too much for me. You know, I was exhausted. They had to have been exhausted too. So then we switched it to two. So it was two part-time nannies. So somebody would come in earlier in the afternoon and then stay until whenever I got home. That was extremely useful for me because daycare was not an option. I don't have family in town. And that was the only way I could take care of my kid. And let me tell you, peace of mind with childcare is priceless. I did not worry about my kid being taken care of. I did not have to worry about coming home at six o'clock to relieve the nanny because the nanny had to go somewhere else. Like, so I think we lucked out in terms of finding the right people for this hard job. What did you do when you were on call overnight? I paid them extra to sleep upstairs in the guest room. And so if I had home call, I would just text them and say, hey, I'm going and I'll be back in a couple hours and they would be there in the morning if I still wasn't home. I have, my work husband is my co-resident, Andy Boucher. He has a kid who's five months older than, than my kid. And we luckily live 10 minutes away from each other and we nanny shared for the first year. His wife is a nurse midwife and so she also was in medicine and worked crazy hours. All four of us worked crazy hours for that first year. And so we were all on board to survive. So what we did was one of us would bring our child to the other person's house at whatever time and pick them up at whatever time and somebody would, and it was agreed that somebody would be there to, to watch the kid. And we made this elaborate calendar, but it freaking worked. It was awesome. And because there were four of us in on this, there was a lot of support and a little bit more backup. So get in on this with your co-residents because they are the ones who understand your crazy hours. Can you guys talk a little bit about the financing? He's a chief medical resident when I was a four, and then he went to fellowship when I was a five, and that's when I had the baby. But he um, moon, moonlighted, moonlit, whatever he past tense worked for extra money. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that was the nanny fund. So he basically worked for a year to build a nest egg to pay for a little nanny. I pay more for Adelaide to be taken care of than I make. I mean, literally every single thing that I make goes towards yeah. daycare. But I think I've realized that, like, Babies cost money on top of that. They need clothes, they need diapers, they need, well, thank God she doesn't need food anymore because she can just eat it off my plate, but. Um, <laughs> she just like takes what I have in my hand. And like literally, there's a couple of guys that in our residency program had babies, but I think that they did it off of a resident salary because their wife stayed at home, so they took care of the kids, so I think that that's which possible. Is, which is the absolute biggest expense. Yeah, is daycare. But there's also, you know, the A-share, there's also, you can get an au pair. No pair is the best. When I was a fellow, there was another fellow at MD Anderson who had an au pair, and so they have a limited number of hours they can work, but they live in your home. So it's more economical than having a live out nanny. Mm -hmm. There's no price that I can just have to just know that she's taken care of. Because if I know that she's taken care of by the right people, then I can focus on work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have to be focused on work. So in terms of pricing, you know, they say don't talk about money with friends, but like, let's be real, this is important. We, what, me? 55, 60 grand max as a PGY-6. It kind of uh, depends on what program you're in. But I think it's extremely difficult to do on a single resident salary if you ha also have to pay for childcare. If you have somebody, if you have a spouse who's willing to stay home and take care of the kid, 
or if you have family who's willing to take care of a kid for free, that's really the only way I can think of doing it. My daycare is $1,800 a month, so we go to daycare that's 7 to 6. The only other cheaper option was the Clifton School, which is $60 less a month. So that was the cheapest option we could find. So I paid $60 more a month for her to go to Suzuki, which is an extra 30 minutes a day. And then on top of that, I pay a nanny an extensive amount of money for nine hours a week. And for a nanny, it really varies regionally in Atlanta in general. You can pay them hourly or you can pay them salary weekly. We pay our nanny hourly. 15 bucks an hour is a very good price. It's actually might be a little bit on the low side. 20 bucks is on the high side. Somewhere in the middle for one, maybe add a second kid. That's very reasonable for this area. Having kids isn't for everybody, but for those who want it, <laughs> I, I don't regret a minute of it. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud to be graduating from residency, but it's the greatest thing I've ever done. Yeah. I love her. I really appreciate everyone's insight. Thank you so much for hosting and for leading this awesome topic. Thanks for tuning in to today's Wiser podcast. Hope you join us next time for another great interview. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Wiser Podcast or send us an email at wiserpodcast at gmail.com to join our email newsletter list. Thanks for your support and we hope to hear from you soon.